This sermon was recorded at Highway Mountain View in Mountain View, California. If you'd like to find out more about Highway Community, you can head to www.highway.org. Good morning. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's a lot of Johns in one space. I don't know. It's not not sure how I feel about that. Good to see you all this morning. How's everybody? Good. It was great to worship with you. And thank you, Jake and the band, for leading us. That was fantastic. It's good to be back this morning. Uh, My family took a real brief down and back day trip to visit our son, who is a sophomore at Westmont College last Sunday. And we had a chance to tour the campus with our younger kids. And it was a a long day of driving uh, with some good hiking and walking in between those two things. But uh, I got really, so I've made this trip to Santa Barbara a few times. And uh, you probably are going to know that this is where this is going to go. It's going to go to ice cream. And on the way down, on the way down, there's a, there, there's, a, there's a sign on the left just north of San Luis Obispo that says Tasty Freeze. And it's like a neon sign with a soft serve cone on it. And that's just not something that you see around anywhere anymore. And so I've always wanted to go to Tasty Freeze and never had the chance to do it. So on the way down, I was premeditating. And I got my, you know, my son, Blake, and my daughter, Shelby, here in high school. I'm like, hey, check out Tasty Freeze. Who wants to go there on the way back? And everyone did, right? And Lynn wanted to go as well. So looking forward to this. Um, Went to uh, went to Santa Barbara. We were driving home, and everybody was hungry, ready for ice cream. Get off the freeway, get onto the frontage road, drive up to Tasty Freeze, and guess what? Every window had a big sign in it that said "Space Available," so it wasn't it wasn't there. So I was I was I was stumped in my effort to get some soft serve ice cream, but that's okay. That's it's all right. We're the we're the better for it in the end. Uh, but anyway, it's good to be back. This morning we are actually concluding uh, our teaching series from 1 John, where over the past seven weeks, we have been looking together at the marks of an authentic Christian. Uh, John is writing, remember, to try to encourage and stabilize and strengthen a church that is struggling. Uh, there was a group of people who had, who had left and were no longer a part of this church community because of some differing beliefs about Jesus uh, that they claimed came as a result of a direct revelation from the Spirit. And a significant part of that, a significant part of that diverging belief set of this group was that they had abandoned their belief in the incarnation. They had abandoned their belief in God coming into the world in the flesh through the person of Jesus. And in the midst of all of the confusion and conflict created by that, John is trying to reaffirm Right, to those who are still faithful to the community, the marks of an authentic Christian. As we've made our way through the letter, we've seen that authentic followers of Jesus are marked by transformation. Authentic followers of Jesus are marked by love. Authentic followers of Jesus are marked by discernment. Authentic followers of Jesus are marked by hope. Authentic followers of Jesus are marked by sacrifice. Authentic followers of Jesus are marked by confidence. And finally, this morning, we're going to see that authentic followers of Jesus are marked by dependence as well. As the final chapter of John's letter begins, we see John returning once again to a subject uh, that is very dear to his heart, and that is the importance of the love command. Take a look with me at 1 John chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. He writes, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, 
And everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Now these verses are yet another example, like, one, like many others that we have seen as we've made our way through this letter. But this is another example of John's refreshingly clear and direct style. Right? One of the great things about John's writing is there's, there's no beating around the bush with John. Right? He, he definitely, as I sometimes like to say, uh, puts the cookies on the lower shelf for us. Right? Love for God, very simply, is seen in a love for his children. Right? Everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. And so John is reiterating once again here that there is an ethical component to following Jesus. Right? Following Jesus should impact and inform and, and influence the way that we live. And this specific mention that he makes here of loving God's children, right? the specific mention that he makes of loving others who are a part of the community, the Christian community, is intentional. right? Because the group that had left the church that he's writing to was not doing that. Right? They were not loving the group that had stayed in the way that they were handling and navigating this disagreement. And for John, uh, that, that fundamentally invalidated their claim to be followers of Jesus. Because as we've seen, for John, the authenticating evidence of being a follower of Jesus is obedience to the command to love others. And then John definitely wants his community, this community that he's writing to, to see that. Right? Loving Jesus means loving other children of God as well. Now, in addition... Uh, to not embodying God's love for others, this group that had left the community had also abandoned their belief in the person of Jesus. Uh, they were denying that Jesus, uh, the person from Nazareth, was the Christ. Uh, they had rejected the idea of God becoming flesh through Jesus. And as chapter 5 continues we see John addressing the importance of that core belief again as well. He says in verse 5, Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And so we see John there very deliberately and very definitively affirming Jesus' humanity. Right? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the one who came, John says, by water and blood. And, and not only do those images that John uses there refer to the physical stuff of Jesus' body, they're also symbols of the events that frame his ministry on earth as well with the water being symbolic of Jesus' baptism, one of the core events that inaugurated Jesus' public ministry, and the blood being a symbol of Jesus' death. And so John takes care 
again here to communicate with really great clarity that Jesus is the Son of God who entered into the world in the flesh. Look at the last part now of verse 6. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so John reveals there that in addition to the testimony of Jesus' life and death, that in addition to the testimony of the water and the blood, the Spirit testifies to Jesus' coming into the world as God's Son in human form as well. Because the Spirit, John says, is the truth. And once again here, we see John making that really significant connection between the Spirit and the truth, which is a connection that we noted a few weeks back, has its roots all the way back in Jesus' discourse with his disciples in the upper room on the night before his betrayal and arrest in John chapters 13 through 17. And something that Jesus shared with his disciples during that conversation was that he was going to be leaving them. And Jesus told his disciples that after he left, the Father would send them another advocate, the Spirit of truth, Jesus says, who would help them and be with them forever. And Jesus said that the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth's role would be to teach them all things, to remind them of everything that Jesus had said to them, and to guide them into all the truth. The Holy Spirit's role would be to guide us into all the truth. And Jesus, remember, is the embodiment of the truth. And he said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? And so Jesus is the truth. And that means that the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, is the spirit of Christ. And so Jesus and the spirit are inextricably connected. Jesus and the Spirit are inseparable. And so it makes sense then why the Spirit and the water and the blood are all in agreement about Jesus' humanity. But of course, all of that throws a really significant wrench into things for this group that had left the community, right? because they were claiming that their beliefs about Jesus had come from a revelation directly from the Spirit. And yet, they no longer believed in the water and the blood. Right? They had rejected God's testimony about his son, Jesus. And for John, that disconnect invalidates this group. Right? They had detached themselves from Jesus' humanity, and therefore they had detached themselves from the truth of God's testimony. And by doing that, John says, they had made God out to be a liar. 
1 John chapter 5, verse 10 says, whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. Now, the word that we see there a couple of times in verse 10 of 1 John 5, believe, it's one of John's favorite words. He uses it nearly a hundred times over the course of his gospel. And he uses it five times here in 1 John chapter 5 in fairly rapid, suggest, uh, in fairly rapid succession. And you know something that's interesting about John's writing is that throughout John's writing, John never uses the noun for belief. When John talks about belief, he never uses the noun to talk about it. He always uses the verb. And that's because for John, belief is not a thing. Right? A noun is a person, place, or thing. For John, belief is not a thing. Belief is an action. Belief is an action. And the fact that John repeatedly uses the present tense here when he uses the verb believe reveals that it's not just an action. Uh, it's a continuous, ongoing action. Believing is a continuous and ongoing action. And so verse 10 literally reads, whoever keeps believing in the Son of Jesus accepts this testimony. And so for John, believing is something that we have to keep doing. Believing is something that we are always doing. And here in 1 John chapter 5, verse 10, we see all of that reinforced even further by John's use of, of one of his favorite expressions with the verb believe. You know, it doesn't look like much when we look at it in English. In fact, if you could put verse 10 back up there, that would be fantastic. It doesn't look like much when we look at it in English, but there's actually something subtle happening in the original language here that's significant. Right? Literally, the grammar there at the first part of verse 10 says, whoever keeps believing into the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever keeps believing into the Son of God accepts this testimony. Now, in English, we don't use that phrase. We don't say that we believe into something. We just say that we believe in something. But John is intentionally talking about something here that's more than just believing in the Son of God. He's talking about something that is more than believing in the sense of resting upon the Son of God. Now for John, believing is an action, and it's an action that is all about moving towards something, right? which reinforces this idea of faith, of believing as an ongoing, continuous action. Right? Whoever keeps believing into the Son of God accepts this testimony. And this group that had left the community clearly was no longer doing that. They, they had not kept believing into Jesus. They were no longer moving towards Jesus. And all of that ultimately points to the purpose of John's letter, which he spells out very clearly for us, not surprisingly, in verse 13. He says, I write these things to you, and here comes that favorite grammatical structure again, to you who keep believing into the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. It's interesting, the NIV translation of verse 13 has actually truncated that verse. John actually repeats a clause that our translation omits. 
Verse 13 literally reads this way. The next slide. I write these things to you who keep believing into the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life and that you keep believing into the name of the Son of God. Now, while that repetition uh, might be redundant for us as modern readers, in John's original context, it reinforces and highlights really just how significant this is for John. Right? What John wants for his community more than anything else is very simply for them to keep believing into the name of Jesus so that they may know that they have eternal life. And as John turns to close his letter, he encourages his community and he encourages us by extension as well to keep believing into Jesus as well. And John offers two different ways that we're to do that. He encourages us to keep believing into Jesus by depending on God. And one way that we do that, John reveals, is by depending on God through prayer. We keep believing into Jesus by depending on God through prayer. Take a look with me at verse 14 of 1 John chapter 5. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. And so we see John here very directly passing along the, the, the invitation that Jesus gave to him as well as the rest of the disciples in John chapter 15. Right? The invitation to approach God in prayer with confidence, right? knowing that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And that willingness there to ask anything according to his will Right, that willingness that John encourages for us to do that, that's a posture, fundamentally, of dependence. Right, asking anything is an invitation for us to risk. It's an invitation for us to be vulnerable. It's an invitation for us to talk to God, not just about the safe things right, or the things that we should pray for, but about the things that maybe we're reticent to ask for or afraid to ask for or that require courage to ask for for whatever reason. And whether it's because we don't really think that it'll happen or because it requires change or sacrifice on our part or because it necessitates transformation, right? Either in our lives or in the lives of others or both. Or perhaps because, humanly speaking, we just can't see the outcome. Right? But those are the prayers of dependence. And they oftentimes, prayers of dependence, require perseverance, which is why I think this is a part of what it means to keep believing into Jesus. Right? Because 
offering our prayers to Jesus oftentimes requires persistence and perseverance. You know, for me, one prayer of dependence that's been a journey for several years now, actually, revolves around the word freedom. Like, I am praying for freedom. Praying for freedom from being bound up by fear. Freedom from my insecurities. Freedom from relying on myself. Freedom from my desire to be in control. Freedom from the various things that I attach my identity to. Freedom from being personally sensitive. Freedom from the distractions that compete with God for my attention. Freedom from wanting to be comfortable. Freedom to see myself truly as God's beloved and and to feel and rest in the unconditional love that he has shown to me through the person of his son, Jesus. Freedom uh, to be present and available and attentive to God and to others. And that, that definitely has been and continues to be an ongoing journey. But that's what prayers of dependence ultimately are like. And prayers of dependence often require perseverance. But John importantly reminds us here, though, that when we ask, God hears us. When we ask, God hears us. And the word that is translated for us as here is another of John's favorite words, and it carries with it the idea of understanding. And so when we pray about anything, we can know, we can be certain that God understands us. Now, another way that John says that we demonstrate dependence on God through prayer is to pray for our brothers and sisters who are struggling. First part of verse 16 says, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. And so John reminds his community here that that praying for each other, for the forgiveness of sin and for restoration and for God to give life is important. And it's not hard at all to imagine, given the context of what was happening in this church that John was writing to, for that sense of, of looking out for one another and holding one another up and nurturing one another and, and even warning one another. It's not hard to imagine that that was something that had been lost in the midst of this church splitting apart. And John wanted those who had stayed to not abandon this important practice because that walking with others is such an important part of the journey of continuing to believe into Jesus. That we demonstrate dependence on God through prayer, uh, by praying for our brothers and sisters who are struggling. And then finally, as John closes his letter, we see that another way that we keep believing into Jesus through dependence is to depend on God's promises. We keep believing into Jesus by depending on God's promises. 
Look at verse 18 of 1 John 5. We know that anyone, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. It's hard not to notice there as we read through those verses the repetition of those two words we know. John is very intentionally trying to infuse some much-needed confidence and assurance into his friends here who are struggling. And he very much wanted them to depend on the promises that they knew. And he wanted them to know that they are protected, right? that Jesus, the one who was born of God, undoubtedly keeps them safe from the evil one. He wanted them to know their identity, that they are children of God. And he wanted them to know the hope that comes with that in the midst of a world that is marked by sin and brokenness. And he wanted them to know that Jesus did in fact come and that he came to give them understanding. He came so that they may know him as the one who is true and remain in him in the midst of all of these false beliefs that were swirling around. And you know, I think it's not coincidental at all here um, that, that we find ourselves in a very actually similar kind of situation as we come to this text. And we very much find ourselves living in a world where there are a lot of different competing truths. Right? And where it feels like more and more the only thing that seems to be certain is uncertainty. And in all of that, John's words here at the end of his letter and these promises that he highlights, I think could not be more relevant for us today. And so as we endeavor to keep believing into Jesus, may we know as we do that, that we are protected. May we know our identity as the children of God and the beauty and the depth and the richness of God's love that undergirds that. And may we know and remain in Jesus, who is, as John reminds us, the true God and who also is eternal life. Jake and the band are going to come and they're going to lead us in a time of singing as we conclude our gathering this morning. You know, and as we finish this letter today where, you know, the reality and the significance of the, of the incarnation has been so central, I think it's really only fitting that we celebrate this morning the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus at the communion table. At the elements that are here on the table this morning, the bread, which represents Jesus' body, and the wine, which represents Jesus' blood, 
are not only reminders for us that Jesus came as the water and the blood, but they are also a reminder for us of the gift of sacrificial love that Jesus gave to us on the cross so that we might experience life uh, both now and for eternity. And so as we sing together this morning, uh, you're welcome to make your way down to the table at any time that you would like through either, on either of the sides, from either of the sides. Take the elements and then return to your seat through the center aisle. And when you've returned to your seat, uh, you are welcome to partake of those elements uh, whenever you are ready to do that this morning. You're welcome to take them individually. And then, in addition to that, uh, as we sing and as we come to the table, as a way of us leaning into depending on God through prayer. Uh, as we sing together this morning, there are going to be a few people in the back, uh, back by the sound booth, which is back at the back of the auditorium to my left, your right. Uh, but there are going to be a few people back there as we sing who are available for prayer. Right? As we've heard this morning, very importantly, God invites us to pray and he hears our prayers. And so if you sense the spirit of Christ stirring in you this morning and you'd like for someone to pray with you about anything at all, we would love to walk alongside you as you depend on God in prayer. So just make your way to the back at any point while we're singing and we would be, we would be honored to pray with you. And as we come to the table this morning and as we pray, and may we do all of this in remembrance of him. Amen.